dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Hello, and welcome to a bonus episode of Dropping the Hammer with Dan McFadden. I am Dan McFadden. On today's episode, you'll hear an interview I conducted a couple weeks ago with Jeff Lowell. Jeff Lowell is the creator, showrunner, and one of the writers of Netflix's new NASCAR sitcom, The Crew. I've gotten to see the first three episodes of The Crew, and let me tell you this, it is a competent version of a sitcom in which it depicts NASCAR, which is uh, far from what I feared it would be uh, when the show was announced in September 2019. I feared this show would be a version of the farce that was Talladega Nights that came out in 2006, a just horrible, horrible movie that has pretty much been the biggest depiction of NASCAR in popular media in the last 30 years that's not Cars, which actually came out the same year, within two months. So The Crew is a much more, uh, it's a competent sitcom, it is, it is amusing, and it does show NASCAR in a pretty, pretty good light. But the funny story about how Mr. Lowell and I came to talk was that back in September 2019, when the show was announced, I went on a Twitter storm of tweets criticizing, you know, oh, here's another comedic depiction of NASCAR in in the popular media. W when is NASCAR going to get a respectful, dramatized version of itself, like with Days of Thunder from 1990? Uh, and, it, and at some point, Lowell saw one of my tweets and responded to it, and we had, like, a small back and forth. And then uh, late last year, when the trailer for the show was announced and there was something in it that scared me about the what the show was going to be i tweeted again about it and lol responded again to it and then we communicated via dm and we arranged to have a conversation once the show was announced and the show is going to be debuting on february 15th which is supposed to be the day after day 2500 which hopefully this is when you'll be listening to it so this is my interview with jeff lowell who is a veteran of sitcoms including The Drew Carey Show, The Ranch, Spin City, and, uh, in my personal opinion, a very underrated sitcom, The Jim Gaffigan Show. Here it is, my interview with Jeff Lowell. Well, no, this is the first time I've, I've ever got to interview um, like a Hollywood showrunner before. So, um, so I got, I got, you. I, I got NASCAR questions for you, but I also got like, you know, Netflix showrunning questions. So I, I, I'm going to guess that I will be even more cogent as I'm talking about um, um, showrunning questions. I mean, I've certainly done my research on NASCAR and we've spent a lot of time with them and, and yeah. we try to get everything right. But, um, but I've been a, I've been a showrunner much longer than I have been writing a show about NASCAR. So there you go. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. You've been doing this since basically the early '90s, right? I have. I I my first gig was with George Carlin writing a show for him on Fox, and I've been lucky enough that I've worked nonstop. I took. Um, I was in LA when this started, and when my career started, and and just didn't love LA, and so made a plan to escape, and then in. 04, moved out to Charlottesville, Virginia, and took like 10 years off of TV. I did all movies, 
but then the industry shifted, you know, and now there are so many channels and so many TV shows and a lot of categories of films have disappeared, you know, adult mm -hmm. dramas, romantic comedies, everything's kind of moved to TV. So I thought my kids are a little older, they won't miss me as much. And I got back into it. And since then, three of the series I've done have been in New York, which makes it very easy. You know, there's, it's a 45 minute flight. I can get back and forth. So I'm trying to be an East Coast sitcom writer. There aren't a lot of us, but I'm, I'm forcing it into existence. Are, are, are the, are the writers, do they have like gangs? Oh, that's the East Coast writers. Oh boy, don't go near them. <laughs> it's it's funny when you you know there are a lot of shows and there aren't many good writers and sometimes the competition to get someone good is fierce i will say having a show in new york there is there is a healthy percentage of writers mm -hmm. who grew up in new york and want to be in new york and want to get out of la and they're like i will work on your show i don't care i will do i just please please rescue me from from the west coast so it but it's you know again it's it's i love i love the east coast la is just a one industry town and gets very sort of uh, uh, myopic and crazy. So it's nice for me to be able to talk to people who do other things. All right. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. All right. So I guess to get started, like, so when did this, so you're the creator, you're the showrunner, you're the writer, like when did this, the idea for the crew, like come into existence? How, how did it fall into your lap? Sure. Um, um, I have to give credit to a, a producer called Todd Garner, who is one of our executive producers. He and, and Matt Summers, who is the NASCAR, one of the guys who's in head of sort of, of the head of sort of putting together Hollywood and NASCAR, had known each other forever and had always thought about doing it. And, and uh, Todd has worked with Kevin James a lot. And so he sort of thought Kevin James plus NASCAR feels good. And I'd worked with him in features before. And I oh, would, yeah? okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, um, you know, just uh, never in TV. I don't think he'd done TV before this, but we were just having a feature meeting. He's like, what do you think of this idea? And I'm like, it sounds pretty great. And I, you know, uh, again, I'm sure he had a ton of those meetings. And my process was, I like the first two pieces. Kevin is hilarious and NASCAR is a great sport. So I dove in and just did a lot of reading about sort of the shift that was happening in NASCAR where crew chiefs used to be guys who grew up, you know, driving cars and building cars and getting mm -hmm. their hands dirty. And a shift has happened to now it's guys with engineering degrees who may or may not have ever been involved in the sport growing up and to them it's a mathematical, you know, challenge. It's a lot of, it's a lot of money ball. It's a lot of what's happening with NFL head coaches. And I thought that's a great sort of theme for this, the sort of generational, changing of the guard that's going on in this sport. And you see the old guard is still out there. They're still winning races, but all the hirings are from the new guard who even really haven't proven themselves. So to yeah. me, I'm like, that's a character. It's a, a guy who has, you know, has had a middle career, you know, a little success, a little failure along the way, but definitely this is his last shot at holding on to it because there are no more jobs for a guy without an engineering degree in this world. So he sort of has to make this work. And as the guard is changing around him, how will he keep up? So that that's really, and then I went to Kevin and sort of walked him through who I thought this character was. And he, you know, look, he, he plays a lot of different parts, but he often plays, he's not usually playing this, the smart, capable guy in charge of something. He's usually more the guy who's, uh, you know, um, um, someone else is sort of telling him what to do more. And okay. so I, in real life, Kevin is, Kevin runs 
everything. I mean, his films, his, the TV show, everything. He's he's a very in control, smart guy who's great at everything. And I'm like, I want you to play this guy. I want you to play the guy who who has a team under him that that is responsible, that he um, he feels responsible for. And yes, there's always pressure from above, and that we all have. But you know, you're you're great at your job in this. Which which again, I don't think it's something he played, and I think that sounded good to him because he's not just playing a, the, the guy he's played a couple of times before in TV and, and uh, that's how it came together. I think one of the things that was important to NASCAR was, you know, everybody loves Talladega Nights. It's a hilarious movie, but it, it, kind, of, it kind of poked some fun at the fans and some fun at the sport. And, and I think they didn't want to have that approach. They wanted a more respectful approach that showed, you know, who the real fans are and what the sport is like. So I think that was sort of their key to signing off is seeing, you know, how he's going to handle that kind of stuff. Well, I, I can't be remiss if I, you know, didn't mention that the reason, main reason we're even talking is because you, you caught one of my tweets a few months ago where I was going after Talladega Nights. Yeah. So, um, which I, I find hilarious is that that's how we wound up here. Um, yeah. So I guess talk about like, how, how did you guys make sure to establish a tone for a show that's that's true to the sport, funny, uh, but doesn't like throw anybody under the bus. Yeah, um, um, you know, when I went to the races before and once I got involved, and you know, you've been to, I'm sure many, many more races than I are. It's, it's, I find the fans there, they don't really wanna deal with politics and all the fights around the world. They're there to enjoy a race, you know, and, and they're kind of, awesome people who are incredibly loyal to this sport. And so it was, um, so that was sort of one of the beginning places is Talladega Nights really took its shots with the Confederate flags and all this kind of stuff and sort of painting it a certain way. And it wasn't the reality on the ground as far as I could tell. And then beyond that, we just did the work of, I went to Charlotte and I went to three or four different shops and spent you know a lot of time there just literally walking through what's the next step? What's the next step? Taking me through every room. Show me how you build this. Show me what you do that, you know, just to sort of gather stories and get the reality of it, you know, and just talking to the, talking to all the people who are the characters that we were going to portray. So none of it, look, we, it's, it's a comedy. People tell jokes, they're funny. They, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, it's, 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 it's heightened in, in that sense, but it's, it's much more um, of a hybrid in that, we do some single camera stuff. We do, you know, we everything doesn't have to be just sort of jokes and setup. And we, you know, the the goal was to make it feel like what these shops felt like to me, which is it's a family where the hours are so crazy, you know, and it's so demanding. You're 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 working, you know, from the moment you wake up to the time you go to sleep, then you get on the road together, or then you come back. There's sort of no time for a life outside of it. And it, it becomes your family and you can squabble with each other, but at the end of the day, you have a really clear common purpose. And I just sort of wanted to capture that, this, this feeling of even more than a lot of other workplaces, you know, this is, this is where all of, your, all of your life is spent. And these people are, are the, you know, are, are, I keep saying family, but that's what, that's what they all are as far as I could tell, you know, just because of, of the way it worked. Well, I, I watched the first three episodes um, last night. I had screeners for that. And one one thing that struck me is that, like, if you, typically most shows that involve a sports league or something, it's usually a fake sports league with fake 
teams and stuff like that but this is a real one you're you you have a scene where kevin talks to an executive from stuart haas racing yeah something like that. so it feels it feels very real in, in in that sense um how, how important was that in in creating the, your a story that has like real world you know real world stakes with like with the sponsors and, and stuff that are like in the first uh the second and third episode anyway yeah yeah, I mean that's again that, that's that's the result of having spent the time in those shops and hearing, you know, if you're in the NBA, most of your money comes through the deal with the networks and maybe you make some ticket money and okay, maybe Nike throws you some bucks, but it's you're not beholden to sponsors, but one of the things you learn very quickly walking into those shops is that anywhere from I think it was anywhere from, you know, 50 to 75% of a team's revenue comes from these sponsors and they can make demands on you that other sports don't. I mean, you know, they, the, the sponsors get to go sit in the, you know, in the pit box while they're doing the race. They sort of have this unlimited access and all this kind of stuff. And I just thought, what a great opportunity that I haven't seen, which is, you know, these sponsors are part of it. So Netflix has a great hands-off attitude with you can use real brands and you can use real things. So it feels like the real world. And then again, we had gone in and talked to these teams. So it was a simple matter to sort of call them up and going, we want to have an executive who works for, for, you know, for your team and we're not going to make fun of it. And I'll send you the pages so you can see what we're doing. But um, yeah, no, I just, I get real nervous when everything feels faking and heightened. We had some fun with it. You've seen that they switched sponsors to a fake brand just because it was, you know, it was amusing to me that it was kind of a tonal mismatch with the, with the NASCAR world. Yeah. But it's not crazy. There's certainly been, there's certainly been products that are, aren't as great a fit with the teams and the drivers get razzed for driving those cars and doing that kind of stuff. But um, so, yeah, and we're, you know, we're even, we're talking about a, a possible second season right now. Okay. And, and one of the storylines that, um, that we're doing is, I want to have them lose a sponsor and be without a hood sponsor for for a few races, which is a reality for some of these teams. You know, yeah. we were able to rent a, a, a sponsor a car for a couple of races during last season and put our fake brand on it so we could get some film. And that just that doesn't exist in any other sport where I can't go to the 49ers and go put my fake team on your on your uniform and play a couple games for me. But so that's, that's, again, a unique thing to NASCAR that is real and you can sort of have a little bit of a twist on it and have fun. But yeah, no, we, we, those, all of those conversations and the things they're worried about hopefully are things that would happen on a real team. So do you personally have like any history with NASCAR before this? No, I'm the kind of fan who, you know, you watch the Daytona 500, it launches the season. When there's a good storyline, you tune in and watch that. You come back for the playoffs. I was the, I was the casual fan. I'd been to, I think, two or three races, okay. and I've been to many more than that since. But, I, you know, again, I, that's probably how I follow most sports is when there's a great storyline, then that's what I'll watch. And aside from that, I can watch the playoffs of anything. So, you know, I, I knew enough. I didn't feel like a fraud getting into it, but it also was... <laughs> Good God, I've got to, you know, I've got to make this right. And by the way, it, it uh, let's not pretend that I'm the sole voice of the show. You know, I've yeah. got a staff of eight writers and, and one of them is a friend of mine who worked on the ranch with me who lives for NASCAR. You know, he okay. drives a car that he built with his own hands and knows every piece of detail. So, you know, there's, there's always, there are always people fact-checking me. You know, I, I hold the themes and, and hopefully pretty good knowledge, mm -hmm. but there are so many people around me. They're so much smarter about all of that stuff. Okay. So, okay. How, how many episodes is the first season? Is it 10? 
the first season is 10 episodes and and you know we we go on february 15th and then probably within a month is how long netflix like to look at their numbers so by march 15th we'll know whether or not we get to keep making them um people seem to be happy the show with the show so they're they're actually doing a great thing they're letting me get a little bit of a jump on it they let me hire my writers um, even though we haven't been picked up yet okay. and we're going through and sort of breaking a second season so if we get it we can get going a little faster which is which is a good sign okay so from from the time you like you sit down and wrote the, the i guess the pilot script to the time like you you locked picture on like the last episode how much did the story change or elements that were consistent throughout the the first 10 episodes like what, what was there at the beginning what maybe wasn't there at the end um, you know, uh, I had to slow the story down. When I first pitched it, I, I definitely had a more, you know, I was going to have a, the new owner come in and, and bring a lot of people in with her. And it was sort of going to be the new versus the old in there. And just as we looked at it, I'm like, this is too much to tackle right away. You know, so you, you can see what the storyline is. Instead, she comes in and is working with the existing team as she's trying to bring them up and of course we will have stories where she wants to bring new people and do that so so but i would say that happened before i even wrote the pilot we sort of had discussions about what what where we would start off and once we got there you know i wrote the pilot and had vague ideas about the theme which is again you know experience versus uh, uh versus intelligence or you know technology versus mm -hmm. you know getting your hands dirty and we, uh, the writers got together for about eight weeks and we sort of talked through what the season would be before we started shooting and starting to write the scripts. And we had on our, you know, a huge board with where we thought it was gonna go. And by the time we got to episodes nine and 10, the cards that we'd put up before we started shooting were the cards that we used to break the stories. I mean, we really, we were able to sort of, you know, we had an idea of the arc of that first season and it, and we stuck with it and it, it you know, it, it I won't ruin it, you know, where it gets to, but that was our plan to get there. It ends with some big moves and that we were building towards, which is, again, always better. If you know where you're going, you can sort of be a little more elegant along the way with setting it up. Okay. So what are some like interesting, I know, I know uh, when we were able to talk to Kevin James the other day, like he said, Tony Gibson, the crew chief, former crew chief was an advisor on the show. Like what is like something that's maybe in the first three episodes that, that, that I've seen that you, you could point to and say, yeah, that's in the show because of Tony Gibson. We just flew him out to the set and sort of, A, we walked him through the set, you know, <laughs> and he he's like, no, we would never do it this way and put this here and get that. And so he helped us with the reality of the world. But then, you know, um, um, again, it's, it's tough to point out something because he cleared everything, you know, but he definitely, you know, one of the things that he was a big believer in, I can point to something. You know, he said, look, some drivers, when they're out there on the track and they come around, you ask them what's wrong, they tell you, you know, you, you, you need to make X, Y, and Z adjustment, you know, um, and could and literally just use the, the technical terms of exactly what they want. And some guy goes, come back and go like, it felt a little funny when I did the thing and it felt a little like this. And they just, and part of the job of the crew chief is being able to translate the guys who, who don't get technical knowing exactly what to do. And that's the story of our, our two drivers that we have through the first season is one guy drives by feel and, and doesn't really ever bother to learn the technical stuff because he can say, you know, in his language and his crew chief who's been with him for, you know, five, 10 years knows exactly what to do. And the next generation nipping at his heels 
is someone who who probably grew up on you know iRacing and knows exactly yeah. the the tactical behind it all. So so those two characters really grew out of that conversation with Gibson. Okay, well, what's like one note that NASCAR had for you? Just like, eh, we don't we don't know about that. Could you could you could you change this? Um, you know, they're uh, they've been great. They just wanted to do stuff like we have a storyline where one of the drivers gets injured and okay. and tries to hide the injury oh okay, um, yeah. and and they you know they just want to they they wanted to be careful they wanted to say like look we don't want to say our drivers are doing something that is endangering someone else on the track and we're like great so we just structured this story to make sure that you know look it was a driver who didn't want to admit he had the injury but we made sure that there was another character, you know, who was watching out for him and trying to, to let Kevin know the truth. And he didn't make it out on the track, you know? So we, it was, it's more stuff like that. It's, and, and when we talked in the beginning, they, you know, they're like, we don't want our drivers driving drunk. And I'm like, neither do I. Again, it's just the kind of, it's the kind of obvious stuff you wouldn't want to do. Um, you know, they, uh, aside from that, it's, they're great, you know, it's, um, they, I never ran into it, but I'm sure that, you know, if I tried to put tires on a car and they weren't good years, I'm sure I would have heard something, but <laughs> we, we, did, we did our homework so that hopefully they didn't have to ride hurt on us too much. Okay, so this is your second show that's on a streaming service, right? Or... Yes, yeah, I was on, I was on the ranch all four years and I did not create it, but I was friends with the creator and I was there from the beginning, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd leave and do something else and fail and come back, but I was there for the whole for the whole ranch, and um, I I love it so much more. They basically network TV. Good, I get to go on a network TV screen. It, network TV is just there are so many layers, yeah. and I think Netflix figured out what why do we have five layers and a studio and a pod and all these people giving us notes when we're the buyers and we can just sort of tell you what we like and don't like. And, and eliminate a lot of unnecessary voices. And also, you know, they, they're, they say this, but it's not just a sales job. They're good to their word. It is, they, once they decide to make a show, they really trust you to make the show. You know, look, they're, they're, they'll write, you know, they'll look at the pilot and they have, they have thoughts and you gotta work together and you gotta get the right cast. And, but once you go, they sort of give you a pot of money and say, go. They don't check out, but again, much more than a network, which is the network process is, you know, you have your table read and then you have a 30 minute note meeting that's going to rewrite everything and you do that every day. These guys, you know, they will read a script and see it and then ask a few questions, maybe something they weren't clear about. And that's really it. They really sort of let, let the, uh, let the creator, you know, let me and Kevin sort of have our, have our shot and have our voice to it. Okay. Like one question I was going to have about that was like, you know, with the old, you know, networks thing, you'd be like on episode six or whatever when a season premiered and you'd kind of have like, you know, some trailing audience input. But with like Netflix, mm -hmm. you don't get that. It, you put it, you make it in a vacuum, you know, put it out. I'm wondering how does that very, very delayed audience input um affect like you said you're currently working on a second season how, how will that yeah. work into what you're trying to put together it's, it's a great question i mean it's much more the british tv model where because of their short seasons they make their whole season before it's seen and you sort of 
you sort of have to go with the creator's voice. You can't point to the outside world and beyond even that, like networks test everything. You know, you make your episodes and they put them in front of an audience and have them turn the dials and tell you they like this. Netflix does not believe in it. I have never had something I've done tested by them. They sort of, they have their opinion. They let you create it and do it. Um, so it's, it's, I guess I should say it's terrifying, but really it's an insane amount of freedom just to sort of, you know, there's, there's nothing anybody can point to to say you're doing it wrong. So you just are all sort of fighting to do it the best way, as opposed to like, I worked on Drew Carey a million years ago yeah. and we had a very clear idea what that show is. This is a blue collar real show and this is a guy. And we had as a, as a one joke character, we had him have a, an assistant in the office that wore crazy makeup and hats. Mimi. And it was the broadest thing, Mimi, of course. And it was the broadest thing we did. And, you know, she was just there for a couple of laughs. We premiered, we'd only been on for one or two episodes. We all went to Vegas with Drew to see him perform. And we were out at the, out gambling at the blackjack tables. And we'd tell them what we do. And I work on a TV show, Drew Carey. And with, without exception, every one of them said, oh, that's the show with the fat guy and the lady with all the makeup. It was what they thought the show was. And the show, oh. we're like, oh, we grabbed the rudder and turned it. And now it's a show about Drew fighting with the lady with the crazy makeup you know, and it ran forever and it did it. So, so there's definitely some value to seeing the audience do it. Um, but I, I will say, you know, I'm, maybe it's arrogance or whatever, but I, I like not having to react, you know, to have the chance to sort of make a statement before I'm reacting. So you mentioned that like when, when you first popped in, like, you know, the, the world blew up last year. Um, wh where were you in production wise when everything started shutting down in the middle of March? Yeah, it, it got us two ways. Um, we, we, we'd filmed seven out of 10 episodes okay. when it shut down. Um, so we knew the show, we, we had our rhythms, we had our everything, we were going great. And also I designed the show so that I had one or two scenes every episode that we were gonna film at a race. And yeah. we were all going, we were gonna originally Charlotte and then we thought maybe Richmond, we were you know trying to pick the right thing. And, and we had it all planned out. So after episode 10, we were all getting in trailers and going down south and we were just gonna shoot it all out at the RVs and on the track and back in the garages and all that kind of stuff. And it wasn't an option. What, yeah. you know, we finally, after six months, seven months, got back and finished the last three episodes in, in a bubble you know, with a lot of people walking around in spacesuits, but there was <laughs> no way to get to a track. So we had to, we finished our episodes and then we cleared out our stage and built, we built garages, we built a pit road and they got multiple boxes in. You know, we went out and um, we, they were doing races. So we sent our camera crews out to really film the backgrounds and the racing so that it was there was some green green stuff going on but it was as great as we could make it mm -hmm. but um um next year if we're lucky enough to do them we're gonna do the same thing and this time we're gonna get to that race and film all that stuff because you can't you can't replace that you know we we tried to be as good as we can we mixed real life footage and all this kind of stuff but there's no replacement so next season will look even better so, so did, did having to do that, did that affect the final like story product at all or? It didn't really, we probably, I probably had to rewrite a few things and sort of simplify where we were shooting. And I probably changed, you know, I had some scenes outside of an RV in the, in the whole sea of RVs that instead I put inside them little shifts like that. And then we just brought a real RV down to our soundstage and did it instead of filming it there. So we had to move a few things around, but it, it really didn't. The real difference is it's just missing those shots of 
Kevin and the driver walking down and not being able to fake the fact that it's all there. And here's here's one thing we do have to rewrite. It, it hurt us is too strong because I'm happy with how it turned out, but we had a lot more cameos planned and people yeah. were going to work with and we were going to let the NASCAR again, being their great partner, they were going to let um, they were going to let our fake driver during the introductions of the drivers, they're going to let him go out and oh, say, nice. number 74 team, Jake Martin, which I'm sure the fans have been like, I have no idea what's happening. <laughs> um, but we're going to do stuff like that and really get those kind of shots. So, so, you know, that, that's, that, that broke my heart a little, but we got to finish and God knows enough things still haven't gotten back on their feet. So we're lucky that we did it. Okay. So speaking of the drivers, you, you have Ryan Blaney, Cole Custer, and Austin Dillon. Like when it came to, getting the drivers for the show, was it just a matter of these were the drivers who were available or was it like, we think these drivers are actually gonna be really good for this project? Um, um, it was, it, Matt Summers, our NASCAR guy was um, was sort of instrumental in this cause he, part of his job is being the liaison between Hollywood. And, so he, he has guys he's worked with and know who are good actors and all that kind of stuff. And we had requests like, do you think Blaney would do it? Blaney's great and all this kind of stuff. So it was a mixture. It was definitely, he said, this guy can act and, and might be fun doing it. And we wrote towards it. It was so, yeah. And, and they, uh, I have to point this out and I pointed out online, I'll keep pointing out all three of them won a race last year. So, yeah. you know, there's the sports illustrated cover curse. We are the opposite. Every driver <laughs> who has ever appeared on our show run a, won a race that season. So spread the word far and wide. All right. Well, I think you, you got, got really lucky with Blaney because he, he, he was hilarious and, the, yeah. the, are, are, are the, those cameos only like in the first three episodes or are there more after that um, um i'm trying to think i think some of them we filmed knowing it would do later i think they're a little more spread out than that but it definitely is front loaded because um we just again we we had plans that didn't and yeah. obviously the easiest way to film them is at the tracks so a mm -hmm. lot of them we were planning on getting there so they're definitely a little front loaded because of that but um but uh that's 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 a sad COVID reality. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks, thanks, Jeff. I, this I is really, awesome. Thank, really thank appreciate you very much. my questions. This was fun. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you for thank you for uh, uh, reaching out. Um, I'm you know how to reach me if you got any any follow ups. I will. I, I will definitely do that. Thank you. That was my interview with Jeff Lowell, the creator, showrunner, and writer of Netflix's The Crew. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can re be sure to read my columns that appear weekly at frontstretch.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel McFadden and at Patreon at patreon.com slash Daniel McFadden. And also, I just recently finally uh, got a custom URL for my YouTube page where I have all of my video content. So you can follow us at youtube.com slash Daniel McFadden. So thank you for listening to this bonus episode of Dropping the Hammer with Dan McFadden. I am Dan McFadden. Thank you.